KCSB-FM in Santa Barbara 91.9. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Brandon Yee with KCSB News. This is the show that shares what's happening in and around Isla Vista and the UC Santa Barbara community. On tonight's show, what is neural arts? It's the theme of the 2024 UCSB Read Selection. Your Brain on Art, How the Arts Transform Us by Susan McGasman and Ivy Ross is a book that the UCSB Library and its partners are encouraging the community to read. The university is hosting a series of public events to engage this theme of neural arts. Recently, a world-recognized composer came to UCSB to discuss neuroesthetics and the operators behind creativity and his own creative process. That was Across Time, Movement One by Gene Coleman. He was recently invited by UCSB Religious Studies professor, Dr. Fabio Rambelli, to deliver a lecture and performance on neuroesthetics, neural arts, and audible neuroscience. You can learn more about the connection between music and health with this year's UCSB Read Selection, Your Brain on Art. You can hear the book being read on air weekly here at KCSB FM 91.9 on Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. beginning on February 1st. I spoke with Gene Coleman, a composer exploring and furthering neurostatic music. I asked him what neuroesthetics were and about their relationship to art, how human perception and cognition plays into creativity, and about his own methods for exploring and creating art with neuroscience. I'm just about to make a big transition moving over to Italy. Italy. Yeah. Uh, to um, start uh, the operations of this place called the Music, or excuse me, <laughs> the Institute for Music and Neuroesthetics. Mm. So that's part of what I was talking about last night. Mm -hmm. uh, my music composition is, I call neuro music. Right. And um, we're creating this institute as a place to specifically do research on, it's music and neuroscience, but it's the, 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 the critical term is neuroesthetics. Neuroesthetics, right. Because that's really the idea of, you know, looking at uh, res people's responses to art, but from this neurological mm -hmm. Point. And so it's a relatively new discipline. It's, right. you know, part of cognitive neuroscience studies, yeah. but it's really opening a lot of doors. And part of what I was talking about last night is that neuroesthetics as a discipline has been heavily focused on visual art and mm -hmm. design and architecture. Right. Uh, it hasn't really brought music into the conversation, so to speak. So part of, you know, I was making the argument uh, in this talk, I'm making the argument that music really needs to be part of this neuroesthetics. Right. Umbrella. It should be part of what's being considered and studied in that context. It's like an auditory field that comes along. Yeah. You and architecture. Yeah, that's the cool thing about architecture. I love like just the study of it. It's like it's built. It's, the, its function is to like really like cement where you are and mm. how you're supposed to feel. Right. And like it's it's supposed to carry you literally to a, a different place. And yeah, I feel like it's architecture is so important. And I, it was interesting to see that that was part of the just a mix of video and mm -hmm. um, d different like mediums too. Yeah. So like one of the, the one of the pieces we'll show tonight. I mean, there's there's three music video works mm -hmm. of mine, and the first one is called Sendai Transmissions, mm -hmm. and that's a piece from ten years ago. But it's a kind of musical visual portrait of a building. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. And the building is uh, a media center in Sendai, Japan, which was designed by the architect Toyo Ito, mm -hmm. who's a pretty famous dude. You know, I mean, he's, if you look him up, you, you see a lot of his stuff. He's, you know, a major 
major player in, in architecture. Mm-hmm. Super interesting building, and I did, I had this idea that somehow I could create a musical composition based on his architecture, right. and that was the whole that was the whole deal of what yeah. I was trying to do there. So we're actually not that piece is about thirty four minutes long. I made this thing, which is like four excerpts mm-hmm. from the video, and then added uh, my my uh, collaborator Fabio Rambella, Rambelli to it. He's playing the show, which is this traditional Japanese mouth organ. Mm-hmm. And there's the recorded music I compose. You hear that, you see the video, and then he's adding like a live component to that. He's playing the show over the top of the music I mm-hmm. wrote. And then there's interludes in between each clip where he's improvising right. on the show. So um, that's the first thing. And that's, mm-hmm. I put it, I decided to put these things in kind of a chronological order because I made this leap from architecture or using architecture as a point of inspiration and structure mm-hmm. to uh, looking at the brain and how the brain processes sound. Right. And that was, so that's the kind of leap. And I wanted to show like a work that was like really about making music with architecture. Mm-hmm. And then the other two works are getting into this idea of the the mind itself is the structure that right. I'm trying to work with and make music use, using that. Yeah. I want to talk about um, your relationship with the like, Japanese culture sounds. Yes. But before that, I want to like, just like lay the groundwork of, Great. Um, I know you talk about like perception and cognition. Can you talk about the relationship between neuroesthetics, um, perception, cognition, thought, and creative composition? Mm, okay. So, um, as, you know, as I said a moment ago, that neuroesthetics as a discipline I think this is so great because this has added a, a new kind of language and a new framework for people to think about art in, in a way, which is, I mean, it's relatively new to think we could actually analyze parts of the brain and see something about how people are responding to art and actually know something we didn't know before about how people relate to art. Um, and all those components of making art and also appreciating it, you know, it all comes down to things that are going on in our mind and body, obviously. Mm -hmm. So perception is the first phase of anything like this, you know, so we have as humans, these various uh, perception organs, our eyes and ears, the skin and so forth. And neuroesthetics is something that can, you know, to some extent, look at that, consider those, those things as an element of like a larger framework. You know, so you have all those ways in which the the outside world enters into us. We perceive these things. And then we have different systems that then process that information. So this, this, this you know, what the haptic system, which mm-hmm. is the skin and so forth is one. What I'm most interested in is the auditory system because right. I'm, you know, a composer. <laughs> um, and uh, so my idea of neuro music is this notion of making a, a kind of a complete map of the whole auditory pathway. So that, that means, you know, from sounds being activated in the air and passing into your ears and then all the stages, what's called mechanical hearing and then actually into the brain. And then you have all these different portions of the brain that are responsible for processing sound in different ways. Right. So I, I have models that I've created that are, you know, based on those structures mm-hmm. and then I, then I use those models to compose. So, but in terms of like the, the phases, so, you know, it, it's always perception first, uh, basically. And cognition then is the phase where, you know, that information has been processed to some degree. It's now become electrochemical sync- signals in your lower brainstem. And then those signals are passing through different parts of the brain. 
Um, and it's always a process where previous experience, which mostly we would understand as memory, is meeting that new data in your brain. Mm. And it's like a comparison between what you've experienced already and this new thing. Right. And the brain is kind of going, oh, yeah, I know what that is. I, I, you know, okay, so that goes over here and that goes there. So we do a lot of things like that. And one thing I find fascinating is that the, the actual amount of outside information going into the brain and actually getting into the inner circuits and so forth is really quite minimal. Mm. Like what we experience as reality with all this detail in it is largely a construct of what we've already accumulated in our minds. Mm. So it's kind of filling in. It, it needs a minimal amount of information to come in and go, okay, we know what that is, so right. we can reconstruct that. You know, Because they've done these things now with the visual system where they've been able to record what the images of the outside world actually look like inside the brain. Right. And they're like these super low-resolution kind of movies. Like when you see these things, you're going like, what? Because we all believe like what we're seeing, right. we're taking all that in and it's the details that we're actually seeing. When in fact, you're, you're literally seeing some very like lo-fi version right. of things. And then your brain is really like reconstructing that and making it into this vivid picture that you consider reality. Yeah. So I find all that super fascinating, like that, that relationship between what we're actually perceiving and then what the brain is actually doing to make reality for us. Uh, and it's, 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 as I said in the talk last night, I, I'm, I'm an advocate for just at least artists, but also like everybody would benefit from knowing something more about the mind and body and how they work and realizing things about our brain because it's, it's totally central to our existence. Right. You know? So if you know something about that, you know, I think some pretty useful things about being a human being. Mm -hmm. It definitely helps. And I want to get into your, um, your, your model yeah. of composing, but mm -hmm. before that, I also, it's kind of like a tight side, side tangent. I think that also plays into dreams and subconscious sure. and like how also that um, sparks imagination and creativity. Yes. Do you right. have any like comments on that? Or? Yeah, sure. So actually, um, I mean, maybe a little later we'll, we'll talk about some of this, the technology aspects yeah. of this neuro music stuff, but I'm, I'm very interested in the relationship of the subconscious right, yeah. to the conscious mind. Mm -hmm. And, and how, I think we're in, we're entering a period now where how artists could work with that, that relationship or those two states of being, uh, there's some really interesting possibilities now. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, more generally speaking, historically, you know, the, the subconscious has played a huge role. Uh, in, in creativity. Right. Um, and actually, uh, th there's a, there's a, a conductor named Leonard Bernstein. Mm -hmm. And I just happened to see a, well, there's a movie that Bradley Cooper just did about him, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's, so his name is kind of floating around right. a lot now, right? But I saw this video where he was talking about music and the subconscious. Right. It's a short little clip. It's on YouTube. It was really awesome, but it was just him talking about in his own, creative process like he would lay down and kind of half fall asleep and mm. really try and induce a state where the subconscious was really allowed to be more active than right. his conscious mind and he said he often came up with his best musical ideas in that kind of state and i thought that was just a really interesting thing about how a particular person tried to cultivate this <laughs> in some way you know because you know you hear about things like writer's block or whatever you know where people become it comes difficult for them to create um, and are there ways to open that up when you have that, that kind of problem, right. for example? And that's where I think some of the 
the technology innovations we're looking at now, like how the mind can be read and how you can use that information uh, becomes it's like opening a new door for how people might be able to use uh, that that data and, and help themselves in various yeah. ways. Yeah. So, but it, yeah, for me, you know, this idea of the subconscious as a, as a source of a very important source of like how you end up creating what you end up creating and you, you don't always understand that. And also like an improvised music, which I do too, that's really about opening the subconscious right. because it, you can't consciously think about everything you're going to do and react. So it's really a music that's about inviting the subconscious into the, into the conversation. Yeah, no, I love yeah. that. The connection of the subconscious to then full on dream states. Right. This is a kind of, I think, fluid relationship. So, you know, being half asleep and then, or daydreaming sort of is a thing, right? These are all connected ways, or this, the subconscious is very much at the center of those kinds of things. So again, kind of half falling asleep or meditative states that are not full on, uh, you know, like your brain is completely shut off, like a Zen Buddhist kind right. of thing. Uh, the subconscious is also given more space to roam, you know, under those conditions, because you're, you're kind of blocking out a lot of things that were dealing with when we're like what we're quote unquote fully conscious and then you're navigating all the things in your life that are important in that moment and also in the future and the past all that's kind of swirling around mm -hmm. and uh that full conscious state is where we all have to kind of negotiate all that stuff and then find focus in that not right. be overwhelmed by all the things that are going on in our lives yeah. at any given time can you also talk about your model for composing yeah so um i mean we're working here without the the possibility of visual aids right now. Right. But, uh, um, the, the, the quick version of this is that, so I was talking earlier about architecture as a kind of model and actually using a specific building, trying to take the features of that and mm -hmm. create a musical, use those as models for music. Mm -hmm. um, and so what happened in my case is that I stumbled upon some research papers by a guy named Lloyd Watts, mm -hmm. who's here in California. He was a, a Caltech graduate. But Lloyd Watts got hired to participate in, a, in a, a private research firm that was funded by Paul Allen of Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And his interest was specifically in studying how the cochlea, the inner ear, right. work. He had, a, he, was a music, he had a music background, but he was also like a math genius kind of guy. And so he got this opportunity to have a research team and then work full time on investigating the cochlea. And this is like in the nineties. And you would might think by that time, a lot of this stuff had already been kind of analyzed. Mm -hmm. But part of the problem is that the cochlea is in such dense bone structure in the skull. Right. It's actually really hard to like look in there and see what's going on. So anyway, he was able to do this. So they were able to make a much more detailed model of the cochlea and how it works. And then went from there into trying to make a, a very thorough mapping of the entire auditory pathway of the mm -hmm. brain. So I think that was about 10 years worth of research that they did. Um, and then be because that was a private company, all that information is proprietary. Right. It's never been. So he was not like a, a professor here who then published a book, shared this information with the public. A lot of it's been you know kept under wraps. But a few things came out. And one of the things was a couple of diagrams that were showing his his map of the auditory pathway. And as soon as I saw those diagrams, it's just like something clicked because right. it looked like an interior architecture plan. 
It's like this overhead view, and then there were all these kind of boxes, right. which were different parts of the brain. But it was like kind of you looked at it from the bottom up. So here's the ears down here, and then here's all the sound information passing through these different compartments. Seeing that model as something architectural, which is kind of how he presented it, that allowed me to go, I could take that. I, right. I could use that and use what I've already done with music and architecture and start to build something off of that. So that was the beginning point, like a kind of a, a moment of inspiration, seeing how someone else had chosen to present this. Because he could have made some like really biological looking kind of image, and yeah. that wouldn't have registered in the same way to me, yeah. right? So it was that way he did that that allowed that to make me make that connection. This is Inside Eye La Vista. I'm Brandon Yee with KCSB News, speaking with Gene Coleman, a composer exploring neurosthetic so music. So from there... I started, you know, really doing a lot of reading uh, on the auditory pathway from from various uh, people who've written books on that and so forth, neuroscientists who study that specifically. And then the next breakthrough was reading a book called uh, Dynamical Systems in Neuroscience, mm. which is by uh, Eugene Izikovich. He's a professor, um, I think, at UCLA. I, I, forgive me if I'm wrong about where he taught or does teach. But anyway, in, in that book, he took the, he made these really cool graphic representations of what are called action potentials. Mm. Action potentials are the actual movement of electric, electrochemical sim, uh, <laughs> signals from one neuron to another. Yeah. And so that electrical signal has a sig, has a signature. It creates a specific kind of pattern depending mm. on the type of neuron and depending on the type of charge that's passing so he had these diagrams that look like these really cool kind of like graphic notation kind of things i saw those and i thought wow i could imagine taking that using these visual patterns and then you could copy that pattern with like a cello the cello could copy that visual pattern on the strings of the instrument so it was like this direct kind of transference of like okay Here's a representation of a particular type of action potential. You could make that exact kind of movement on the strings of the cello. Right. And each of those patterns is visually different. So each pattern repeated on the strings also creates a different sonority. Right. So they have that. It's like a, a fingerprint. There's mm-hmm. an ID to that. So this is where the, the first piece I composed really using this idea of or the models from the auditory pathway was a, a cello piece called the geometry of thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's where I utilized these, these patterns from Azikovich and Lloyd Watts's model of the auditory pathway. And I was kind of off to the races at that point, you know, like, okay, here I was able to make a whole piece of music using that. The other important thing just in general terms was for these compositions, I always have like source material. Because the whole notion is like, okay, imagine you know, you're hearing some music. Mm-hmm. It, it goes into your brain. Uh, the, the process of the brain processing sound actually ends up, you know, making the whole thing a big abstraction. Mm-hmm. Because it's just now like these electrochemical signals. Right. Then the brain works on reconstructing that into something. It recognizes certain features to it, and it becomes more and more vivid in, in your mind. Um, and I'm really interested in that process of abstraction back into, you know, quote-unquote reality. Right, right. Yeah? So the, so the pieces are like, it, it starts with something which is some recognizable music. Right. In the case of this cello piece, it was a, like a 16th century composition by a Spanish composer mm-hmm. 
uh, for a, for a viola da gamba. It's kind of similar to a cello. So I use that material and then completely abstract it. And then later in the piece, it starts emerging again. Right. You know, so it's really trying to mirror that whole process that our brains are going through when they hear things. So, um, that's kind of the, the real basic version <laughs> of what, what's, what's going on in this thing. And it, this is really talking about like, what are the real fundamental things of auditory experience? And how I'm trying to, you know, use those things. There's a lot of other details, of course, mm -hmm. that I'm working with. But, you know, fundamentally, this is the thing is like, can, can you use this process in a way to then create original music? Right. But it's, it's using the, the same processes in some sense the brain is actually using to, right. to, to do that for you. Yeah. That's such an, that's that. Like, I'm like, hold on, I'm gonna take a breath real quick. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's cause like your fall, you start off with like, so the piece of music that's like, that follows a very like, like, a, a, an established like tonal structure. Mm -hmm. And then you break off into something that's still very like abstract, but still something people can relate to because it's coming from. Ooh, yeah. Well, I mean, in, in my case, it's like I, I, cause I, I come from like a, you know, contemporary classical mm -hmm. background. So it's like, you know, a lot of com composers in the 20th and 21st century have made super abstract music. Right. So I'm trying to recontextualize that kind of music. Right. It's like, okay, how does that music like play a role in something? Cause a lot of people are, you know, are turned off by it. It's too abstract. Right. They don't hear a melody. It's not rhythmic enough or something. So my idea is like, okay, that music could kind of, exist in these zones where the brain is really has abstracted these things mm -hmm. so you go from recognition to something more abstract and then mm -hmm. back to recognition again and that's uh i mean for me that's a way to put because i really love that music but then it's also like but what's the future for that right. like just does it make sense to just keep making more music that a lot of people can't relate to right. or can we find some way of putting that in a new framework where it has some kind of meaning that it doesn't have for a lot of people when they just hear that, you know, they hear like a 30 minute really abstract piece yeah. of music and uh, music is the kind of thing too. Like if you don't have certain elements to ground you, yeah, like it's a pivot. Yeah. yeah. And then it be, it's for a lot of people, it's just really disorienting. Yeah. And then it, they're like, uh, why? I don't know what I'm listening to. Why should I keep listening to this? Yeah. And it's a time-based experience. So it's always that question about what, what am I doing with my time? Mm -hmm. You know, am I wasting my time? And that I often make this comparison, you know, like v abstract visual art, I think generally has a much larger and more receptive audience. Mm -hmm. But part of the reason for that is that you can look at a picture for a few seconds and go on to the next one. You're not like, oh, if I'm going to look at this picture, I got to like look at this picture for 10 minutes. Right. And that if, if that's how you had to experience visual art, it wouldn't be as popular <laughs> as it is now. But the fact that you can just look at 10 different things in a gallery and focus in on one you really like. So you have this like random access to the information mm -hmm. and that makes a big difference. I think in terms of how people can re relate to something. And as a result of that abstract visual experience is just something a lot more people are into, or at least they're comfortable with it. You try and do that with music and it's, it's much more challenging right. because of this, like this time based experience mm -hmm. kind of thing. And to wrap up the conversation, composer Gene Coleman provides insights about the inspiration and motivation that drives art. So psychology was an enormous influence on the arts in the 20th century, and or at least some, some art. And I'm envisioning something where neuroaesthetics could have be like another wave in which uh, many, many artists are influenced by this as an idea and, and create differently, create things they wouldn't have created without like that knowledge base. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I'm imagining happening in the future is, is that like this, like curriculum 
for artists, which is really about understanding perception and cognition. Um, you have some things like that now, but they're very rudimentary, and it really needs to be grounded more in the idea of like, you know, what what could result from these things in your creative practice? You know, how could you create in a different way knowing more about these things? And mm -hmm. that's a bit like you have to kind of show people what that could be. You've got to give them an image of that as opposed to like, you know, like I remember when I was in art school, we had like a color theory class and I was really bored by it because I, I couldn't really make the, I was sort of, well, I know how to mix colors. I don't necessarily need to know some science thing about that. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of closed off to what, what that could have brought into my way of thinking about what I was doing. Eventually I lightened up and I started to realize, oh, there's some things here I really could benefit from. Uh, but that's, I mean, it's kind of a small example of how we have to create more space where people would understand this idea and, and what it could do for them. Uh, and then their creative practice will expand and, and go in different directions as a result of all that. And of course, the technology will be another dimension where people can also use the technology in creative ways in conjunction with more creative thinking about the mind and body and, and how those things work. So, But in summary, it's the idea that neuroaesthetics could create like a whole new form of artistic practice or or art being informed in a completely new way mm -hmm. and as a result of that people people create in a different way all right thank you well this was brandon yee for kcsb with gene coleman all right thank you for listening and have a good time for more information on gene's work visit genecolemancomposer.com we've been exploring neuroaesthetics or neuro arts tonight on inside isla vista it's the theme of this year's UCSB Reads book selection, Your Brain on Art, by author Susan McGasman and Ivy Ross. Find out more about the book and public events taking place to explore the key themes of the book at kcsbfm forward slash dot org slash reads 2024. Beginning next week on February 1st at 5.30 p.m., you will hear the book, Your Brain on Art, being read on air here on KCSB. Our theme music is Siesta by Jawser, and our outro song tonight is Across Time Movement 3 by Gene Coleman. You've been listening to Inside Isla Vista. Thanks for tuning in on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. to find out what's happening in and around Isla Vista. I'm Brandon Yee. This is 91.9 FM, KCSB. Yeah.